So today, I would like to spend a little time looking in Luke chapter 6. Um, briefly give you context, this is very early in Jesus' ministry. Um, back in verse 13 of chapter 6 is when he actually selects the 12 of his followers who he is going to designate to be apostles, special eyewitnesses um, that are going to follow him um, closely. And so he selects them, and um, he's been praying on a mountain. He comes down and stood in the plain. Um, and this is going to be the same um, message, um, just a little bit different accounting of it, um, as the Sermon on the Mount. And so, so I'll just start reading here in 17. He came down from them, after choosing the twelve, stood in the plain, and the company of his disciples, these are the ones who are, following him around, and then a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And they were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went out virtue of him and healed them. I don't have a, a map handy that I could bring up, but this is a wide range of geographic area for these people that's coming out. Judea is the, the region that's around Jerusalem, Jerusalem being the, the main city there in Israel. Um, Tyre and Sidon are Gentile cities that are far to the north on the coast, the Mediterranean port cities. Um, and right after the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to go into Capernaum. So he's got this whole... Um, wide swath of people where people are traveling great distances to hear him and obviously many are coming because they're 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 sick they're they're hurting they've got um possessed by unclean spirits or devils um there are those who uh, were maimed um those who had lost limbs um, and you'll see this repeatedly in the times when people come up to them all those that are hurting and, and needing help and they're going to someone who's, who's helping them they sought to touch him for there went virtue out of him and healed them all. This is a special, special man. This is not just anything. This is not your, your Benihana of today. I'm going to whack you on the head and fall on the stage. And, um, this is everybody. He's healing them all. That word virtue is what we get the, the Greek word uh, dunamis or dynamite. Power. Power. He was, he was using his power. Um, as God um, and healing them. Right? They're his creatures. He created them. If they were broken, he can fix them. Right? But what I really want to spend um, is about the next 20 verses on just looking closely about what he says here. I'm going to put my Bible in front of me. I don't like reading on the computer screen. I have more clarity of my thoughts, hard text. But so I'm going to start reading verse 20. He lifted up his eyes on his disciples. So he's got this massive congregation around him, all the multitude that's been healed. He's look, now looking at his disciples. This is what he's teaching. He said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they separate you from their company, 
and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day, leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the like manner, manner did their fathers unto the prophets. But woe unto you that are rich, for ye have received your consolation. Woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Okay. I read down to 26 because you really need all those verses to understand any of them. And you get the contrast. You have him starting off with really an, an unusual thing. Um, if you were to go to the homeless and say, you're blessed. You're supremely blessed. That's really what the word blessed there translates to. If you look up in Strong, it says supremely blessed. You're blessed. Blessed are ye poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. What's the contrast with that is, but woe unto you that are rich, for ye have received your consolation. So there's this paradox of you who are poor, and that word poor literally means to be crouched down, to be oppressed, to be a, a beggar. It's kind of the mental image. You're poor, and that can be poor in the world's goods, sure. That can be poor in spirit, which is how Matthew will, would, would record it in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, the downtrodden says you're poor, you're poor, but you're blessed. You're supremely blessed. Yours is the kingdom of God, whereas the rich... It's a declaration of woe, because ye have received your consolation. And the lesson in this is you, that you can't really see unless you've been given, you know, spiritualized by the Lord, by the new birth, is that being rich in this world is really not that great. Okay? If all you have in the riches of this world and that's, that's your prize, that's your consolation, that's, that's all you've got. That really stinks. Because <laughs> the same way that when you're in heaven, and um, there's a verse, and I can't remember exactly where it is, you can look it up. Um, it says, all the trials and sorrows of this life will seem as nothing in comparison to the glory and grandeur of being in heaven. It's a paraphrase, but you can look for that. Um, all the trials will seem as nothing compared to the greatness. All your riches will seem as nothing when you don't have that at the end. That you know, you may have all that would be desirable in this world. You're full. Your your belly's never never in need. You've got all that you could want. Things are good. You can just laugh for joy. Um, People speak well of you, you got fame. I mean, all the things that we often get caught up in chasing, right? Money, power, friends, toys, all that is worth nothing. But those that are poor in this world, that are hungering now, are hated for Christ's sake, says that you can you can rejoice. You can have joy because there's a reward in heaven. Now, the reward is not 
for your works or your efforts. The Lord's there because of Christ's efforts. He did it. He did all the work, but you're the beneficiary of it. And so one who is hungering to be with the Lord, hungering for spiritual blessings, um, desiring, um, desiring God and trying to serve him fully, the world's going to hate that. And that's pretty promised. But it says that when you're doing those things for the Son of Man's sake, and people start showing that hatred, that they hate you, separate you from their company, reproach you, and hold you with disdain or scorn or contempt, and cast out your name as evil. Well, you're just... Uh, what's, what's a modern version? You're a bigot. You're a phobia, right? You've got some homophobic or whatever, insert phobia here, whenever you say, God's word teaches this, I'm going to try and abide by it, and that won't line up with the world's teaching, they'll hate you. They may try and cost you uh, your job. I mean, you'll have, I don't think that will happen to Bennett anytime soon, but um, there are a lot of companies where if you don't have the right ideology, they'll cast you out. And you know what? If you're a follower of Christ and you get cast out for being a follower of Christ, that's okay. <laughs> you can rejoice. You're doing the right thing. Because the reward in heaven is far greater. And he says... That's the same thing they did with the prophets. Now, Israel and the pattern, you read the Old Testament, there's a pattern of, okay, we're doing the right thing, kind of, and then we go off on the wrong track, and the Lord will send a prophet. Sometimes they listen to the prophet, and they'll um, go back on the right track for a while. Sometimes they ignored the prophet. Sometimes they stoned the prophet. Sometimes they killed him outright or put him in a dungeon. And so if that prophet is being a faithful servant of God, delivering the message that he was faithfully taught to do, and he's treated like garbage. <laughs> and now you're being treated like garbage for trying to faithfully follow God. Are we really surprised? That's the pattern. Okay? However, the next verse starts with a but. With but. Whenever you see a but or therefore or wherefore, it means all that thought beforehand, you got to continue on. So even though you'll be cast out, separated from men, they hate your name, they'll defame you, lie, um, slander you, even though all those things are going on, but I say unto you which hear, and this is red letters, this is Jesus talking, but I say unto you which hear, love your enemies. Enemies can also be translated adversaries, can also be translated those that hate you, hatings, haters. <laughs> love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. So that, you know, that's an affirmative obligation, not just to think nice thoughts about them. Yeah, I'm going to love you from a distance. I'm going to throw stones lovingly, but no. I'm going to love you and do good to them which hate you. Bless them which curse you and desire your harm. Pray for them which despitefully use you or abuse you, or slander your name. Love, do good, bless, pray for them. 
Jesus, that's a hard teaching. Yep. And if you haven't been born again, you don't have the wherewithal to do that. That's only enabled by the Holy Spirit. That's a miracle. Okay. Did you ever think about that? That when you're able to be faithful to Christ's teaching, it's not by your strength, yourself. It's that God is enabling you through his strength, and it is a miracle. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Bless them. Pray for them. All right? Then it goes even farther. And unto him that smiteth thee on one cheek, offer the other. Now, this word smite is used as a different word that's recorded in other spots where you know, sometimes they use smiting like a, an open face, one smack. Right? This word, if you look this up in Strong's, it has the idea of repeated blows with like a stick or a crudgel. You ever feel like you're getting beaten over the head? I have. Because even in that scenario, if they're whacking you on the right side of the face, turn the left. Now this is very, I mean, let's be honest, this is radically different than anything you'll hear on political commentary today. Right? Even those who claim to be followers of Christ, it's all of Stand up. We're going to take our rights and everything. That doesn't seem congruent. Unto him that smiteth thee, who's repeatedly blowing you upside the face, offer the other cheek. And to him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. So I'm not sure which is the outer garment and which is the inner, but saying if he's taken one, don't try to hold back the other two. And the, the idea is there's is taking it by force. You say, Jesus, that's, that's pretty hard. Yeah, it is. But you know what? It falls right in line with the teachings in Ephesians about we're warring. We have a warfare that's not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual warfare against principalities and powers and, um, and those in high places, but it's not against other men. Uh, and our call in all the scenarios is to stand fast for God's word, to do the right thing, even when your flesh, your carnal self says, I just want to sock this guy. It's continuing to do the right thing and following all of Christ's teachings, not just the ones that are in line with what I actually want to do at the moment. Right? We tend to cherry pick on those, right? Give to every man that asketh thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. Now this context here, implies that you're doing this even to your worst enemies. You're loving them, you're doing good, you're blessing, you're praying for them, and then it goes on to, they take your stuff, okay. If somebody asks you, and they're an ungrateful, rude sot who does not like you and will defame your name, and they have a need, says that you should help. Not for their benefit, but for yours. 
because you're being obedient to what Christ has said. You are going against the carnal reaction of, I'm going to take care of those who take care of me. And later he'll say that everybody does that. We're called to something different, something higher. As you would that men should do to you, do you also to them likewise. You know, call that the golden rule. Treat folks how you want to be treated. But it's not contingent upon them actually treating you how you want to be treated. It's a regardless. Do the right thing all the time. And he says, for if you love them which love you, what thank have ye? And that thanks is of God. Are you glorifying God and representing him as a follower of Christ when you only do the bare minimum of taking care of those who take care of you? He says, what thanks do you have? You don't have any thanks. He says, for sinners also love those that love themselves. For sinners also love those that love them. You know, that's, that's human nature. We're going to be kind to those who are being kind to us. You scratch my back, I scratch your back. But that's not what we're called to. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have you? Thank from God. None. For sinners also do even the same. And if you lend to them whom you hope to receive. You ever, you ever been choosy about who you lend your stuff to? You know, particularly if they get a pattern about not giving it back, or they give it back in sorry condition, or, yeah. If you lend of them, of whom you hope to receive it again, what thank have ye? For sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But, again, got a but, so all that comes back into play. But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again, again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. Doing those things does not make you children of the highest. Doing these things makes you act like you're a child of the highest. That's how a child of the highest should act. Why? Because we're a follower of God, which means an imitator of God, which means we're trying to do what he does. And it says, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. God shows mercy and kindness to everybody. Not just the kind, but also the unkind and to the, to the unthankful and to the evil. So if you ever get long in the mouth about you're just tired of helping that guy, they don't thank you, they're not even really that nice, okay. God does it all the time. Sometimes to us when we're unthankful and we're acting evil. Says, for that example, be therefore merciful as your Father is also merciful. He shows great mercy and compassion. He sends blessings on the whole world. Um, you know, even just down to, to rain and causing you know, food to grow, that um, it is a, a broad blessing that comes through for that. And so that we have privilege and the responsibility to try to imitate his mercy even when it's not earned you know that's the definition of grace right unmerited favor because of his grace that you can then show grace 
which leads into 37, which says, Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. All right. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. All right. So there are two forms of judgment mentioned in the New Testament. Um, one is condemned, and the other is required. I was like, well, how, is, how does that work? Here's my best understanding is that this judging and condemning idea are really synonymous. That I am not called, you are not called, to look at individuals and make a determination about their immortal soul. You cannot look and say, you're a child of God, you're not. You have no idea. You can look and see if the fruits of their life are bearing to show <clears throat> it looks like this person is living as a child of God, should. Or you can show that it looks like they're not. That's discerning between evil and good. That's a judgment that you're called to do, to discern whether something is right or wrong. That judgment is fine. But making that final condemnation to judge, to render the verdict, to rule this one is, needs to be cast off or this one's acceptable, you don't know. It's not your place. Um, and ultimately, if you think about the the thief on the cross, if anybody had looked at his life up until the last few moments, they could have written him off. You know, but he said, Lord, when thou comest into thy kingdom, remember me. Um, and Jesus responded, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He was a child of God. Um, but you wouldn't have been able to know that from the rest of his life. And so don't Look at those who are speaking to you unkindly, who are hating you, who are casting your name out, and judge them as castaways, because you don't know. The Holy Spirit is powerful enough to raise any of his children to life, to give them spiritual life. Um, there's, I mean, Paul was a murderer. I mean, he was consenting unto the death of one of the first deacons. I mean, he's holding folks' coats so they can pick up stones and kill them. And yet the Lord used him. <laughs> I'm going to show him what things he shall suffer for my sake. And he used him for the rest of his life to go and preach unto all the Gentiles, you know, a whole mess of them, um, and suffered a boatload. But he can take you know, a murderer, give him a new life, put him into a service, and use him. And so it is not our place to look and cast off or write in um, anybody. Um, and so, but the admonition there, judge not, you should not be judged, is that we don't want particularly to be holding people to a standard that's any higher than we hold ourselves to. And that last part about um, forgive and ye shall be forgiven. I mean, that, that goes into the explanation of the Lord's Prayer um, of, Lord, forgive us our trespasses as thou hast forgiven us. And at the end of that, there's an explanation about if we don't forgive our debtors, we cannot expect the Lord to forgive us. And that's, that's one of the things that as a follower of Christ you're commanded to do, is to forgive. 
not because they're worthy, not because they've apologized and made things better, but you're to forgive for Christ's sake. Forgive as he has forgiven you, because ultimately what we have done wrong against God and been forgiven out of hand for Christ's sake is infinitely worse than anything anybody could do to you. 43, um, or 39, excuse me, he goes on and spake a parable unto them, saying, Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into a ditch? The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. So I think these two verses are linked. You know, the, the religious leaders at this time, you know, he would often describe them as being blind. They had no spiritual life. They were trying to take the 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 law and twist it to whatever they wanted to say. And they'd add layers and rules to it and traditions, and they'd make a good show of following it. And all their followers said they're blind too. And they're both going to ultimately end up in the ditch. And the next verse is the disciple is not above his master. You cannot expect that if you're following someone who's blind, that you're going to succeed and do better. Now, the same thing is true is that, Everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. So if you're following a blind guy and he's going to the ditch, that's where you're going too. If you're following Christ, don't expect to attain above him. You want to be like him. You want to be an imitator of him. And 41 gets into the, you know, the common, um, it's not really a parable, but common teaching that you've probably heard all your life. Says, Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? but perceivest not the beam that's in thine own eye. Neither how can they say to their brother, Brother, let me pull out the mote that's in thine eye, when thou thyself beholdest not the beam that is in thine eye. Oh, hypocrite! Cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou clearly see clearly to pull out the mote that's in thy brother's eye. All right, so your image here is, you know, your, your brother's got a little bit of sawdust in his eye. You know? You're relating to some sin in his life, and you want to teach him more perfectly so he can let that go. And the illustration is that you've got a two-by-four sticking out of your face, and you can't see real clearly that little piece of sawdust, and you can't even get that close to him because you're whacking him with your two-by-four, and he sees it awful clearly, but you can't perceive it. And that's, that is how we are when, in our hypocrisy, we try to judge others on their failure to meet the standard when we're not looking at ourselves critically to see if we're standing or falling there. Um, you know, I've had that occur in my life where I was, I was blatantly called a, a hypocrite for a stand that I took. And, and, and even the words, they were, they were meaning it one way. And, um, but the way that I had to take it was if I'm going to take a stand on this one issue for Christ's sake and say that I, I, not willing to cave on it, and I don't look at every other aspect of my life and see if I'm standing fast there, then guess what? I am a hypocrite. Now, this is just, by no means does this mean I live a life without sin, but it means that I'm constantly subject to self-examination, just trying to discover where my blind spots are, um, even praying the Lord will reveal those, but the ones that are glaringly obvious that I'm doing this, this is not consistent with Scripture, Guess what, Bubba? You gotta lay that down. Stop it. Don't debate it or you know, him and haw. Just do it. Um, and that's a, a over, over, 
over and over again process until we did because we will always have our sin nature that's still following us around no one preacher described it as you know you're born again you've got spiritual life it's now like you're toting your sorry carcass you know, a dead body now it stinks it's annoying you can't get rid of it it's like you're chained to it um and it's always there you know slowing you down and dragging dragging hindering your 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 walk or your growth all right verse verse 43 says for a good tree bringeth forth for a good tree bringeth not forth a corrupt fruit all right so that four relates back to the previous teachings right all the way back into judge not judging um, following your master um, and the hypocrisy of, of not seeing your own sins it says a good tree bringeth forth bringeth not forth corrupt fruit neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit for every tree is known by his own fruit for of thorns men do not gather figs nor of bramble bush do they gather grapes a good man out of the treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. Right? And so this comes into that righteous judgment, discerning, the examining those that you're around and seeing if what they say that claim to be a follower of Christ, does the rest of their life, does that bear out? Does it match up? Can you tell that they're striving? Not saying perfectly, but are they striving? Um, and and the totality, the, the whole of their life will reveal it. You know, it's it's easy to to talk, but if your walk doesn't follow up, you you'll you know, the disparity is is revealed. Um, you know the good tree it's talking, about, it's, it's talking about one who has spiritual life can you bear spiritual fruit and that's what's discussed over in galatians it's chapter five um the fruit of the spirit or joy peace love you know just the, the ones who are going out of their way to build up and edify those who are around them who are acting differently from the world who are loving their enemies even when their enemies are jerks right? Those are the ones that are bearing the good fruit. It says that a corrupt tree, the one who's dead and trespasses, he can't bear that stuff. He might can pretend for a little bit, but he can't actually bear the genuine fruit of the Spirit. Um, and so you shouldn't expect, just like you wouldn't go out to a fig tree uh, and you know, expect to pick up you know, briars, you can't go out to a briar bush and expect to gather figs. I mean, it's, it depends on what type of tree it is. You know? And before you're born again, Everybody looks like that thorn bush. It's only by the new new birth that you were created a new creature in Christ, created unto good works. It's in Ephesians two, um, and that we're to bear fruit. And guess what? We're not all going to bear fruit to the same degree at the same frequency. Some are going to bear twentyfold and fiftyfold and a hundredfold, um, but that doesn't mean it's not a good tree and not to be written off. Or cast out. All right. But out of the treasure of our heart is what our mouth is going to speak, whether it's evil or good. Finally, in 46, it says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? They're calling after it. Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say. It's interesting, right? You, know, you and I don't go around calling anybody Lord or, or Master, but if you go to somebody and say, Yes, sir, certainly do that. Yes, sir. Right? And then you don't do it. 
is he really, you know, held in esteem in your life? You know, the Lord of one, you're supposed to follow what they say. And he says, you know, you're calling me that, but it's just a name, it's just lip service. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me, heareth my sayings, and doeth them. So this is someone who's heard and does it. So I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man which built a house, dig down deep, laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently upon it, upon the house, and could not shake it, for he was founded upon a rock. I guess I should scroll down a little bit. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth, a gout against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Okay? It's the only difference between those two individuals. They both heard. One applied, and the other didn't. And so if you want to have stability in your life as a follower of Christ, it implies being a doer of the word, not just a hearer. That's what the strong foundation is, is building your life on that rock, that rock of Jesus, on his life, on his work, on his words, not this kind of ephemeral, loosey-goosey, Jesus light that has no substance, but actual, what has he revealed about himself? And then trying to apply that. Not even what a modern folks talk about him, but was he revealed about himself? When you hear somebody talking about him, go check the text. See what it says. That was what the Bereans, uh, that's why they were counted as noble. Paul came into town, and he's telling them about Jesus, and what are they doing? They're trying to fact-check everything he said from the Old Testament, because he's trying to say that Jesus is the Christ, and here's why, here, 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 and here, and they're going back to the Old Testament, and they're trying to see if it's actually so. All right? It's a good thing. If anybody's just telling you, yeah, just take my word for it, or it's in there somewhere, those are red flags. Right? I encourage everyone in my congregation that you, I want you to go look up everything that I've referenced. Go see if it's so. And if I'm wrong, please let me know. <laughs> um, we want to share the truth of God's word to the best of our ability with utmost integrity and for our own you know, personal benefit and edification. We want to learn the right things and then do it. That way we would not be just as the hypocrites who claim to follow Christ, want to walk around with him for the, for the stuff. You know, there are those who were in the multitude who just, they really needed that leg back or wanted to see or be able to talk or those physical needs. And there are times probably in your life and in mine where I get serious about praying when I have a physical problem or maybe a financial problem. There are those who um, followed Christ around. They wanted to make him the king because he fed them. They had been out you know, three days without eating um, at a time when, Food was a lot more difficult to come by, and he fed the multitude, you know, basically from nothing, and fed you know, thousands of folks. And they said, "Man, that's pretty good. Let's make him king." And he called them out. He said, "You're not following me for the miracles. It's because you are fed, and you want to continue to be fed." And so there are wrong reasons to be claiming to be a follower of Christ for financial improvement, for health improvement, for. Um, you know, whatever it is, the, the blessing in this world that you get consumed in, yeah, he can give those. But go back to what it started with. He doesn't have to. You can be poor. You can be hungry. You can be hurting 
and you're still blessed. Something to chew on. Thank y'all for your time.